Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Hey, y'all. No tricks, just treats on this episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today, the guys discuss Halloween games and three five-minute initiatives on Architects of the West Kingdom, Kalimala, and Ascension Delirium. Hey, Vanessa, where's the candy? (laughs) He thinks there's candy left. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 157, Build Me Up, Break Me Down. My name is Marty. And I'm Tony. And I am extremely embarrassed... To say earlier when we were getting on, I said, Tony, I am kicking off tonight's episode. And I asked, so what song are we doing? He told me what it was. And I went, I had to look that one up. And that's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, all I've heard about is how great this group is. Oh, my heavens. They are the (laughs) bee's knees. They are everything. I mean, oh, let's go talk to people at the various game companies about this group. And uh, Okay, whatever, man. I threw you a softball. He threw me a softball, but I've been a fan of of Dream Theater, who this song is from, since, God, 93. And they've put out 14 or 15 albums to where all the songs run together. And this is an album that came out like in 2011. And the thing is, though, if you would have said, asked me, what's the name of this song? I wouldn't have thought it was Build Me Up, Break Me Down. I would have thought it would have been Falling to Pieces because that's the thing they say the most like in the course. Mm-hmm. So I was really confused. So, yes, when I went and looked it up and hit the video, I just went, holy crap, that's really embarrassing. So as a self-professed Dream Theater fan, I apologize to all of the Dream Theater fans out there, I I have let you down. And if you don't know who Dream Theater is, and Tony, you probably never even listened to their stuff. I, well, occasionally, occasionally. Oh, I, you do. I did not know that. But I mean, I'm not I'm not the uh, savant that you are. Now, some would argue I'm the idiot savant, but I am not the savant on Dream Theater. <laughs> I, I mean, I would occasionally listen to it, but I mean, you know, it's it. Some of their stuff's in my Pandora, and if I thumbprint do my thumbprint selection or thumbprint radio, they, they may pop up along with a whole bunch of other stuff. Cause Donna shares my Pandora and Pandora's station. Yeah. yeah. Now mm. it just so happens just a little bit of trivia, Tony. Uh, so Mike Portnoy was the drummer with them since the beginning. He created this band in the eighties and right before this album, he left to kind of do his own thing. And so this is the first album featuring Mike Mangini, who is a, a very good drummer. And he's been with them um, ever since. And I think Mike Portnoy regrets leaving them now. I've seen this band in concert twice, and it's an amazing show. Yeah, and I was confusing when I first saw this. I said, oh, he'll know this. I was also thinking of Mannheim Steamroller, because you talk about them, and you've gone to a bunch of their concerts, too. But I'm like, no, it's not Mannheim Steamroller. This is Dream Theater. This is the one where, isn't this where a bunch of artists come together and record at once and then leave or something like that? Is that the, what the Dream Theater is? That is not what Dream Theater is. This is a, a just a regular band who gets together every couple of years, records an album, goes on tour. Well, which band is it? Because you used to talk about that all the time, too, where a band of four people would come together or five people and they would record and then leave? And then leave. Uh, that one is leaving me. And by the way, you have another band confused because you said Mannheim Steamroller. And, and now not. I understand where you're going. When you said, uh, Marty, this is your band you love to listen to every christmas and i was like what it's not Mannheim steamroller it's trans-siberian orchestra there you go that one too <laughs> who i have seen in concert i think i counted nine or ten times mm, okay they were an annual christmas tradition for us and i was going to go again this year but we decided oh, the family is like i guess after you've seen them nine or ten times it's like well we've kind of seen them nine or ten times but here's the thing I got in early. I had front row seats, front row seats reserved. And so I was texting everybody, guys, are you sure you don't want to go? And they went, no. I said, all right, well, I'm releasing the seats. Now, has this been at our local ovens auditorium still where they do all that, where they've done a nice job? Oh, no, 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 no. They hadn't been at ovens, which is a small auditorium here in forever. They are at the Spectrum Center, buddy. Ooh. 
Ooh. Oh, they, they bring in 15,000 people and they're doing two shows here. Wow. They have gone uptown, haven't they? Now, I know that you uh, recently went and saw Hamilton. You said it was an amazing experience. Hamilton uh, off-Broadway. Yes. I went and saw that. Yes. And you and you were telling how good it was. To me, that's what Trans-Siberian Orchestra was. It's this kind of this thing you kind of need to do once. Like, I, th- I need to see Hamilton once. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, you need to see Trans-Siberian Orchestra once because the music and the story and the uh, the lights and the pyrotechnics is just it's sensory overload when you leave you just like you're just triggered it's just too much going on at one time i've always wanted to go but donna's like i don't know if i'd like that i'm like it doesn't matter we need to go i mean hamilton it was just i don't know what it was about it i mean yes they were not Speaking their lines, they were rapping the lines, but I, I can, it was nothing. I mean, it was incredible. And they had this part, Marty, where the stage, I have never seen this, and I'm sure people who go to plays all the time have seen this, but the stage will had a turntable part of it. A section of it mm. would rotate. So when the actor or actress is singing and doing whatever, he would be talking about stuff and he'd be having someone and it would start to rotate. That actor would stand still, but the people around him would move and it would be choreographed with the song and this next group would show up. And I was just like, oh, that is so cool. And then how they were timing it. So yeah, Hamilton, if if you get the chance, recommend going and seeing it. Before we move on, it's like we're like, what, three or four minutes, five minutes into this, and we've yet to talk about a game. But before we move away, because this may be the last time we ever do a Dream Theater song. So let me just say this. Here's a little bit of a tidbit of information for people that are out there. And Tony, I don't know if you know this. I am in a Dream Theater video, music video. Really? Yes. Uh, This was back in, oh gosh. Somebody jump off the stage and mosh you or pit you or whatever that they did back then? Mosh pit? I don't know. God, I guess this was back in 2009, 2010. So I had a uh, person who uh, lived in Charlotte. Uh-huh. I, I, there was a person who lived in Charlotte. There you go. That's Amazing. That's very astute. While, while you get uh, this together, can I just say we have an incredible, incredible full moon <laughs> while we record this evening, a week before Halloween. I mean... How apropos, we've got a beautiful full moon out there getting ready to move into Halloween. Now, do you have your story pulled together? A friend of mine who is a talent artist who is, uh, would, would get people to do like extras on TV shows mm. and everything called me up one day and said, hey, listen, uh, do you know anybody that might want to have like a, a quick job like being in a video? And I went, because uh, I had, I was in, it was like a music video. And she said, there's a band here and that they're shooting something. I said, I don't know. I said, I guess I could contact some people in the band. I said, I said, who isn't? She said, I don't know. She said, somebody named Dream Theater. I went, what? And she said, what, do you know these people? I said, they're like my favorite band of all time. And she said, would you want to be in the video? I went, heck yes. So I got in my car. Headed to downtown Charlotte where they had a studio set up shooting, shooting this thing, but they weren't there. We were basically like the B-roll part. Oh. Yeah. So they were recording their part in New York and we're recording ours here and they edited it together for the video. But regardless, here, here we go. If anybody wants to see me in a music video... Go look up the video, Dream Theater's song, A Rite of Passage. In there, there are four characters, uh, four people wearing long black robe, wow, long red robes with masks and red hoods. And there's always four of them on, on screen when, they, when they're on the screen. Uh, when you're watching the video, I am the one on the far right. Okay. Okay. Dream Theater, Rite of Passage. I'm the guy in the red robe on the far right. And in fact, there is a quick scene where we raise our fists up in the air. And if you look at the hand of one of the fists closest to you, you'll see my class ring. Okay. So no face shot, just your fist. No face shot. It was basically we were we were wearing a mask. It's I mean it's kind of a weird video, but anyway, uh, so. I got to do that. That was like an eight-hour day. It was an eight-hour day shooting maybe three minutes of video. Mm-hmm. 
so it was a it was a long process because you had to get fitted for the costumes, had to get all the lighting set up and everything like that. It was a cool thing to be a part of. But now I got to be in a music video of my favorite band of all time, and that was uh, pretty awesome. Well, that's good. I, hey, I understand about that eight hours things. I spent six hours and I got three seconds on a Duke Energy commercial. Nice. So I mean, nice. you know, hey, what can I say? I'm, and I'm sitting there, and my daughter gives me a hard time because I'm pushing the button to return the power on. Oh, but that's that's not how it really works. So there, there's our, there's our claim to fame: uh, me in a music video and you on a Duke Energy commercial. Yeah, I'm I'm on the Duke Energy side a lot. Uh, mm, the Polar Vortex video lives forever. It's almost up there with the Strike video on the Rolling Dice and Taking Names YouTube channel, where Marty is releasing his top ten purchases for miniature market or pre no orders. Orders. I'm sorry. By the way, good job on the try dedication. It, try it again. Try it. It's the top 10 selling games each month. Top 10 selling games each month. With You can dedicate your favorite game to a long-distance relation. That's right. Someone who has impacted your life through board gaming. Send them a game. Write a good story. Yeah. So if you go and uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, each month I'm going to put out one of these. And there's going to be a link in there where you can go to our miniature market page, which is miniaturemarket.com slash RDTN. There you can enter a contest and give give us a story, a long distance dedication of, of a game that you want to dedicate to a friend or family member. We will take all those submissions, read one, and we'll pick one and send that game to you, a friend or family member. And last month, we actually picked two. It was the first time we did it. Miniature Market said, let's give two away this month. And it was really two two cool stories uh, that I got to read. So, yes, I am uh, now doing that on the YouTubes. And what surprised me most on your recent one was how Keyforge fell to the bottom. Okay, didn't go all the way to the bottom, but she dropped like a rock out of number one and two. Yeah, number one and two down to number nine and ten. And that's actually one of the things we're going to be talking about this episode is we're going to be talking about Keyforge and and the business model behind it because an article was just released on FFG where they talked about it and they sent us a starter set. Now we can, we can uh, cover that. And Tony, it's been three episodes since you and I just got together and talked because the last two, we've had a guest on the show. And I'm sorry to say for those who are new to the show, who have listened to two amazing designers in the past two episodes, Ignacy from Portal and Martin Wallace. There is no guest in this episode. So if you would like to stop the podcast and go to your next favorite podcast, Tony and I will totally understand. Completely understand that, especially after I threw you a beautiful segue to the Keyforge discussion and you went over here. Well, it's not time. We've got show notes here. <laughs> I think we did better when we didn't and Ignacy was on. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> because, because I guarantee you, there was nothing in the show notes about what his dog did to his cat. No, that is absolutely true. You can't record long tonight because you have got to get the house ready for barbecue. Ah, uh, yes, I do. This is our second annual big barbecue event. I got a bone to pick with you, man. Let's go and tell what this is real quick. So we started this last year. A good friend of ours, Steve Gibbs, uh, who is really good he's a barbecue pit master i think that's what they call him he judges them yeah yeah he, he's actually an official barbecue judge makes some barbecue brings it here we have you know 15 to 20 people coming to the house going to the basement and we just game all day and eat barbecue uh celebrating you know the season the halloween season and we're going to be doing that again uh this coming saturday and we are getting actually prepped for that and what's the bone you have to pick with me so Donna goes, so when is this starting? And I go, I don't know. It's somewhere on Facebook. And she goes, what do you mean it's somewhere on Facebook? I know it starts at Marty's on this date at this time. And he says it's on Facebook. So she goes, okay, well, let's log into your Facebook account. All right. If you don't log into your Facebook account very often, you miss some stuff. I'm just, I'm just okay. saying here. So I go over there and she's going, okay, it's in this message thing here. So she clicks on it and up pops all the messages from this and everybody's talking and Mark Kell from the scurry reports being Mark Kell, his usual self. And she goes down and then she goes, okay, here's the event link. And she clicks on it and it takes her to your booba cube uh, event. And it says, I'm going. And I go, I haven't been on Facebook. How am I going? I haven't said I'm going. 
I told him I was going, but how did he, how am I selected? How did I get to say I'm going on this event that I haven't been on Facebook in almost a month? And then she goes, oh, look, in your notifications, Marty marked you as going. I'm like, really? You can do that? I can. And I did it because you never get on Facebook and this is the headcount that we need. Steve, who's making the barbecue, is wanting somewhat of an accurate headcount so he would know how much butt to buy. Okay. But nobody really cares about this other than the fact I just don't get on Facebook very much anymore. <laughs> You're right. People do not care about it. Hey, but I think unless something changes, Richard Launius, who designed Arkham Horror, is going to be coming in again. And hanging out with us. That's great. He didn't learn his lesson from last year. <laughs> no, he didn't. He and Pete Shirey from Seamine Games will be coming up. And Tony, I have been into a Halloween playing mood this month. I've played Mansions of Madness. Uh, Vanessa and I got to play that game. Have you ever played, I can't remember if you played it uh, with us, uh, Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu? Uh, actually, and we did a review on it. I, I can't remember. It's like I can't remember that Dream Theater song. That is a really fun game. It is, if you know Pandemic, it's pretty much exactly Pandemic, except they changed just a couple things. One, instead of an outbreak, you know, in Pandemic, you have three cubes and there's an outbreak and it spreads. Mm-hmm. Here, Instead of cubes, is cultist. Mm-hmm. And if you ever have more than three cultists, you flip over the next elder god in line and something bad happens. And if all the elder gods flip over, um, you lose. So that's one of the little twists. But I will say, and I remember this from my review, that's an easier game, an easier version of Pandemic than the original Pandemic. And we won easily the other night on Normal. So if you're looking for an easier version of Pandemic, you need to check this one out. You won only because Jacob was there. Jacob Kuhn, right? Because he came and visited us and beat us in every game we play, which we're going to talk about. Yeah, which we'll be talking about the two games that he beat us in later on in a a five-minute initiative. But yeah, I've been really into the Arkham games. And in fact, at work, it's really cool. There's a friend of mine at work who wanted to try out this Arkham Horror card game, the LCG. He bought it. Now, he and I... Once a week or twice a week during lunch, we'll sit down and and play Arkham Horror, and I am so thrilled. We are two scenarios away from finishing Dunwich Legacy, and I will say at this point in time, that is now, I like this game better than Lord of the Rings, and for me, this is the best narrative strategy game I've ever played hands down. I've played a lot of fantastic narrative games. I've played a lot of strategy games, but I've never had one that merged the two things so well together to where you have to use some strategy to play the game, but it's never so much that it rips you out of the story. And the whole thing that you're doing the entire time is so story driven that the decisions and stuff you make within the context of story, you just stay immersed the entire time. I love, love that game. Yeah. I got a feeling I'm going to be playing that one solo. Does he want to do a podcast? (laughs) It's one of those things I tried to teach Vanessa. She prefers a more narrative style game. And it was just too much. The deck building and the strategy. She just didn't want a part of it. She'd rather play Mansions of Madness, roll some dice and see what happens. Take some names, baby. Roll some dice. Take some names. That's right. And uh, so she loves that. But I was just wanting something with a little bit more of the deck building and card playing mechanic because that's kind of what I'm really into. And yeah, I would like to. I mean, you can play solo, right? Uh, Yes, you can play solo. There are some really good solo decks out there if you want a net deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some websites and stuff that show you how to make some solo decks. So if you've never tried Arkham Horror LCG and you want more of a strategic narrative game, I highly recommend checking it out. Just get a core set. That'll that'll tell you all that you need to know. But in, in October, man, I play as many horror-themed games as I can. Yeah, I found, I think I have two Arkham Horror starter boxes broken apart and I forget why I bought two. Oh, you, you probably bought two because you need two to build a decent deck. Oh, of course. And I mean, I think, you know, they're still sitting there. One's I think still in shrink too. And I tell you, I'm very excited about the Arkham Horror third edition, the, 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 the board game. Uh, second edition has been around for quite a while. And you know, Richard Launius, Who's going to be coming to our house for BBQ? Did I tell you that? He's coming? Well, you think he is. Uh, We think he is. Uh, He designed Arkham Horror. And so I've read some early reviews of this game, and they say it's really good. So Eldritch Horror was like a a streamlining of Arkham Horror 2nd Edition. They're saying the 3rd Edition of Arkham Horror is a totally different game. Gives you the same feel of Arkham Horror, but it streamlines it even more. Easier to teach. 
the narrative is better and a shorter gameplay, two to three hours. I think I've played Arkham Horror twice and it's been a long time. So that'd be interesting to get a third edition out there, see what it's like. Long time, Boston, first album. Yes, it is. From from my standpoint, I mean, you get into all these Halloween games around Halloween. Huh, imagine that. I do. Now, Mansions of Madness. How many people can play that? I forgot. Five? Four or five? I can't remember. You put me on the spot. Okay, good. So I was just trying to curious because in the neighborhood, I promised these young teenage gentlemen that I would play a game. I thought that would be an excellent one, but you know, it would be about five people and I keep going back and forth. Do I really want to break that box out, reattach the models to the base, redo all of that? And I'm like, or I can just, you know, get out. I don't know something else. Go ahead and glue the models to the base. I, I did it right out of the box. Okay. Yep. Put a little dab of glue in the little peg that you that you put into the hole on the base, and it'll it'll stay there. That's that's what I did. You know, it's it's sitting there saying, I'll, you know, I love my uh, my Arkham games. Last week after we released the episode with Ignacy, the interview, he contacted me. He said, "I want to ask you a question. Is that a Southern term when it says like?" I love my Imperial Settlers. I love my train games. So I thought maybe he was misunderstanding the word love. You know, love me different things like in Greek and everything. So I thought maybe love is something that you should have between people. And he doesn't understand that in English you can say, you know, I love something that's inanimate. Mm -hmm. And so I said, no, I mean, love used in this context. He went, no, no, no. The word my, like you said, I love my train games. And I thought, I said, is that odd? He said, it doesn't make any sense to me. Why is it my train games if it's just train games in general? And then he hurt my head and I couldn't answer his question. Is is that odd to say something like, I love my train games? To use the word my there instead of I love train games? They're not ours. So how can you say my? Uh, so is it just me? Where did I come up with that term? No, I mean, I say it because uh, obviously I'm the one that said it. I love my train games. And actually, they are mine. They are sitting on my shelf. They are mine. But it's funny. It's like I love my worker placement games. But that doesn't necessarily mean possessive games that I have. I just like worker placement games in general. And so it hurt my head. And now I'm rethinking everything that I've said in the past. See, don't do that. Don't worry about it. Who cares? Life's too short, man. Just just go with it. I mean, that's what you've, you've always said. It. I, I love my train games. I love my lawnmower. I love... I love my wife. You say, "Hey, I love my wife. I love wife." Well, you know that is make, but it's 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 well possessive, meaning that not that you own your wife. Keep going. Okay, I, 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 I am going to be digging a hole, so I'm just going to stop right there, as you should. So, I mean, and I appreciate him reaching out and asking that question. I mean, it's for him to better understand, and he's going to the wrong people to understand anything. I will tell you that much. Right now. <laughs> Especially when he's asking about the English language. Yeah. Oh, he should not be coming to us. Mezzo closed on Kickstarter. We got that going on around us. So for those that haven't been, it seems like Kickstarter's really heating up again. And oh, okay, um, then oh, what was it? Uh, title, title, God, why did that just leave me? Ti- 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 oh, shoot, don't, not title waves, title battles, title battles, yeah, that looks, title. In, yeah, that looks incredible. And then we got Cloud Spire going on. It's not title battles, is it? No, it's not. It's the game from Druid City Games, right? If you go to um, BGG, I'm sure that ad will splash on your page right now if you don't have ads blocked like I don't. And then by uh, Chip Theory, Title Blades, Title Blades. And while you're there, we'll look up Chip Theory's game, Cloud Spire, number one currently as of this recording on BGG. Yes, I mean that's out there, and 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 they take away from some other good Kickstarters that are out there. Uh, let me mention a game that was a challenge to me that's out there on Kickstarter right now. And this is from Fight in a Box, okay? They've got a new game out there called Processing, a game of serving humanity. The The whole premise of this game is that you are, the, the aliens have come down and they've taken over, a collective of aliens have come down and they've taken over the world and they've selected you and me and whoever else is playing. We have to process cows and hipsters, okay? And depending on the type of alien it is, he may want to eat the hipsters, save the cows, and not free anyone. All right, there's three things you can do. You can select three. You can either you can either probe them, eat them, or you can free them. Okay? 
Okay. At the end of a conveyor sequence, after the end of a bidding phase, then you see how they are scored and you get victory points. Now, if your agenda alien does, or your alien that you're working for doesn't like an action that happened at the end of the phase, then guess what? You go up on another track. And if you're the person who has, say, the most victory points that you've scored, but yet you've made your overlords mad at you, you get you automatically lose. If you the, if you have the highest hate, let's say, by your overlords, you're going to lose. Now, this game is real close to getting funded. Now, I, I'm going to be purely transparent here. They contacted me. They sent me a um, promo of it. Uh, you and I have not got to play it. I got to watch Lance, uh, Undead Viking Lance uh, play it at Gen Con, sat down with him. He went over it with me. I've tried it the group I tried it with, they were not into a, I don't want to say social deduction, but it's one of those where, Hey Marty, what, why don't you vote on freeing those hipsters right there on your vote? Free, free them. No, I don't. I'm not going to free the hipsters. Uh, they'll be probed or eaten. What if you free them this time and next time I'll do what you need me to do. One of those types. Okay. Of, just for you, I'll do that. Yeah. So a negotiation game. And they, then they use the words social deduction on me. That's a bad thing. You don't tell me a social deduction game because I shut down right there. Right. That's just how I am. You do shut down. Yep. So anyway, tried it. Didn't jive with the group very well, but Lance had, they were hooting and hollering at Gen Con. They were having a big time. He really enjoys this game. So if you get a moment, go out to Kickstarter and look up processing a game of serving humanity. It might be something that you're interested in. I mean, he's real close to getting it funded. Real close. Speaking of uh, Kickstarter, you're talking about a lot of things that are being hidden because all these other games coming There's out. There's a lot. Oh my gosh. I'm always into stuff that's non-gaming related, but having to do with games. And I've talked about this before. I love gaming accessories. There's this uh, carrying case that was on Kickstarter. I'm not sure. It was, it was before. It's called X-Case. It was like this expandable carrying case for miniatures and collectibles. And I contacted him. I said, hey, this, this is really cool. And I said, well, wait till you see our new Kickstarter. And the Kickstarter just started, uh, like I said, it's, it's going to be starting on 10... 24. So when this episode comes out, it should be going on. It's X case 2.0. Uh, they've made it more durable. It's expandable and it's modular. And if you go out to the kicks, uh, Kickstarter page, which we'll have on our site. Well, don't, no, no, no. Don't you be committing me to stuff too late. It's transparent acrylic, which is really cool. So this does a couple things. The thing about miniatures, when you spend all your time painting them and they end up, maybe if you don't have a nice showcase or a curio cabin or something like that, they end up just in you know a case, a regular carrying case. Here, since the cases are transparent, they can be used for displaying your nicely painted minis and then actually carrying them out to events or whatever. It then is a really cool design where you take two of the cases and they stack on top of each other. They could be bundled into fours where they where they connect. You can have four of them connected together and have a handle to attach all four together to carry them around. Uh, you could put magnetic strips in them on the bottom on, on the top. So then you put magnets in your, in your bases so they stick to the top and bottom. They're great for displaying. So these are really, really cool looking. And even though people think, oh, I don't play Warhammer 40K or anything like that, these are just good for miniatures in general. You know all those uh, Kickstarter uh, minis you probably got from Simon that now don't fit in your box? Here's a way you can get some cases to store some of that stuff in. And the pledge level is for like 35 bucks, you get two of these cases, which if you look at the pictures, they will hold a lot of minis, especially if you use magnets on the top and bottom for storing this stuff. So anyway, X case 2.0, I'm interested in it. I may get a couple of these, a great way to display your minis and, and transport them. So I'm into the non-gaming type of Kickstarter. So that's why it stuck out to me. You remember that time at Origins where my Warhammer, War Machine, I'm sorry, War Machine fell on the floor? I still hurt when you say that. I know. That's, that just took me back. I was just sitting here thinking in, in that slow motion of my troll blood falling slowly through the air as he went crashing to the floor. Oh, God, that crushed me. Speaking of crush, you mentioned earlier we had a friend of ours in town, Jacob Kuhn. Yes. Uh, who, who's a friend of the show. Uh, I thought I would show 
uh, Jacob a good time, and we uh, invited him to our game store last night. It was you, I, Jacob, and Mark Kell from the Scurry Report who sat down to play a, a few games, a couple games that we had uh, received and we wanted to talk about and review. We said, hey, Jacob, let's, let's get your thoughts on these. And then he immediately uh, immediately wiped the floor with us uh, with both of those games. But that's not going to deter us, Tony, from talking about those games in this episode. I hope not. because Well, he didn't wipe the floor on uh, Kalamala, or as Mark kept calling it, Kalamari. 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 Why don't we talk about that one first? Our five-minute initiative for, now I'm going to say Kalamari, Kalamala. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that one. miniaturemarket.com if you are not going there every day you are doing yourself a disservice i'm telling you people because they will occasionally pop up these special sales like when marty and i were going to record today we were like man what's going on over there they've got 40 percent off arkham hard dnd but by the time you hear this episode you lost out why did you lose out you ask because you failed to go to miniaturemarket.com when every day when you should. Now, I get my daily deals. I go and check what's in stock. Matter of fact, Marty, Sagrada is back in stock. I scan through that stuff. I feed that beast in me that says, ooh, what's new? What do I need to get? How do I purchase this up? How do I go out to miniaturemarket.com and purchase something and keep adding things to my hold list so that I can hit that $100 free shipping? That's right. So if you haven't gone out to miniaturemarket.com today, you probably already missed a great deal. The daily deal may have sold out. Sign up for that newsletter. That's at miniaturemarket.com. And Tony, before you press that order button, you might want to throw in the 5-6 player expansion for Sagrada, which was in the top 10 list for September. You know, I heard that. Five-minute initiative begins in three two one one of the hot games from essen 2017 was a game called kalimala from adc blackfire entertainment now i never had a chance to play this game tony because well, it wasn't over here but all those that went to essen were constantly showing pictures and doing demos saying this is really cool this has a really cool action mechanic well guess what tony what Thanks to Stephen Bonacore over at Stronghold Games, he is now bringing this game out to the U.S. And he sent us a copy to check out. And Tony, we've done that. And I must say, this game, I get it. I see why people were buzzing about it. I get it halfway through it. It took me a little <laughs> bit. Marty, that game, when we put it on the table, it looked so simple. I got a bunch of cubes and a disc. I mean, there was nothing to draw me in. You know, nothing really pretty. You know what I mean there? The biggest knock for me on this game, and I get art is subjective, but this does not have good table presence at all. It, it looks doesn't. like a Euro game for maybe 15 years ago. It's kind of a basic game. And here's why, because the last Euro game I played was Brass, which is one of the most beautiful games, Euro games, I've seen in a very long time. So I, I agree. It did not draw me in, just the look of it. And if if it doesn't draw you in, you have missed something. Because I will tell you right now, I mean, Marty's going to tell you all about how to play the game and all that, but we only got five minutes. So I'm going to break it down for you from the Tony point of view. There was strategy and there was waiting and anxiety to see where people were putting their disc and all that came together to make a beautiful experience for me, a very satisfying experience. I mean, Marty, the disc, placing the disc to take the two actions and how that resolved that, that was, I thought, oh, there's nothing to that, but it was so strategic. There's this three by three grid and each game on each of those nine spots, you put an action token. And in between each of those tokens, you can put a disc and take the uh, actions that are adjacent to it. So there's a variable variability part of like right oh, there. Yeah. The order of the actions are going to change every time. Put down a disc. You have to take one of those actions. Otherwise, you can draw an action card. But Tony, I love games where I get to do stuff on other people's turns. So if I place a disc there and you decide, hey, I want to take those two actions, you can place one of your discs on top of mine, take your actions, and then any disc beneath it 
has a chance to take those actions again. That right there is what drew me in. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with you. And the fact that you're placing your color disc, but you have two special white discs in your collection as well. And if you place a white disc out there, then you can take those actions twice for a total of four. But if someone comes in and puts a disc on top of your white disc, guess what? It's not your disc anymore. It's not your color. It's white. So you don't get to do that again. Then comes the crux of scoring because Lord knows victory points matter. Yep. And the scoring, Marty, once again, replayability. Tell me about how you score this game. There are 15 scoring tiles in this game. That, again, at the beginning of every game is randomly put out onto the board. So the the scoring, the order of the scoring will change every single game. So when there is four discs on a, on a pile, the bottom disc from that pile is put on the first scoring token, and then you score it. And people are like, what? I'm taking actions. What's the whole goal of this? I looked this up, and this is kind of interesting. I wish I'd read this before I played the game. The Arte de Calamala was a guild of cloth finishers and merchants in Italy, which totally makes sense of why you're trying to collect resources through actions of like wood and stone and brick so you can build boats and warehouses and shops so that you can manufacture cloth and ship it to places and and sell it at places and also help contribute to building up the area by contributing stone and brick to certain buildings. You're doing that over the whole course of the game and then you're going to be scoring based on how well you did. Hey, in this scoring tile, how many things have you shipped? The person who has shipped the most gets three points. The second place gets two. The other one gets one. Hey, who contributed the most brick and goods and stuff to this one building being built? You count up all the colors. Whoever has the most scores three points. There's 15 versions of those. And that is the whole crux of the game. This game, because of the variability of the scoring, the variability of the actions, the fact that you get to could possibly get actions on other people's turns, ignoring maybe that not drawing me to the table because it didn't look that great. I am ready to play this game again and again. It drew me in. I like it. Stand on my shelf. Thank you, Stephen, for bringing this game to the U.S. And on my side of it, this brings me back to Gentis, another game that I love. Those two would be fighting. That's how much I enjoyed this game. It's up there with Lorenzo. Hard choices to make there. Kalamala, great game. If you get a chance to play it, do so. Five-minute initiative is complete. Nothing makes my day more enjoyable than when Marty sends me a link and says, you've got some homework to do. (laughs) Yeah. I got to give you some lunch time reading here. I'm too busy watching videos on how to play games you want me to play. How am I going to get to the reading material? Good gosh, man. I mean, it's bad enough that I got to go fight for a microwave, go heat up my rotisserie chicken from Sam's Club. What do you do? Buy a whole chicken from Sam's Club? Yeah, you go buy a whole chicken from Sam's Club at $4.99 and I split it apart. I take the the legs and the thighs and rip them apart, put one in one baggie, one in another baggie, and then I rip the breast off of it, stick those in a baggie, and Donna uses that for her salads and I use the legs and the thighs for my um, lunches. Uh, That's very efficient use of a chicken right there. And it is some good chicken. And these are healthy chickens, too. Big chickens. Boy, that was a tangent. It's like, oh my gosh, will you guys shut up? All of a sudden, you're talking about rotisserie chickens. <laughs> so, Keyforge. Yes, you sent me an article about Keyforge and how they came up with it and how this led to this and how they've got this other game that they're looking at and how technology has made things change and the challenges they have. Yada, 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 Keyforge. You skimmed the article without really reading it, didn't you? I read it. Most of it. So the other game that he's talking about is Discover Lands Unknown. So FFG at Gen Con this year introduced this thing called the Unique Game System, where every game is totally unique. And they first launched it with Keyforge. Now, we've talked about Keyforge before on this show. And if you want to hear our in-depth review, go check out episode 151 where we compare the uh, card game Keyforge against the other card game that we liked also, uh, Warhammer Champions. So there's this article that just came out that was written by Christian Peterson, who's the CEO of FFG. And he talks takes us back three years ago at Gamma 2015, where he and Eric were just kind of brainstorming ideas. Eric who? 
Eric, I'm sorry. Wow. Eric Lang, designer Eric Lang. They were just kind of brainstorming ideas. And Eric came up with this. Wouldn't it be cool to have a game where every game is totally different, has this different experience? And from that little chit chat over lunch or dinner or whatever, it kind of sprung into something to where they both left to go. Let's let's continue working on something like that. Uh, Christian goes on to say, you know, Eric's super busy. He was super busy. They would kind of get together and talk about it every so often. And then eventually Eric uh, took a full-time position at CMON. But Eric said, Christian, please run with this idea. I think this is really cool. So he went to designer Corey Knizia, who, Tony, you and I love his games. Going back to StarCraft, man, mm-hmm. Forbidden Stars. Corey Knizia said, you know what? I, there's this game I was working on This is unique. Every game is totally different. It's called Outcast. And from Outcast, it eventually became uh, the game that they just recently announced. It's called Discover Lands Unknown. And Tony, you've probably seen this, right? So every game is different. So the tiles where things take place may differ between a, a copy of the game that you buy and a copy of the game that I buy. You may have different characters to play than what I do. It's kind of like a Robinson Crusoe game, which may be right up your alley. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, when I was looking at it, my favorite part about the whole article was the visuals. Yeah, because what they did is he actually went to the process of how this game will be put together. That's what I, I agree. The most interesting thing to me was this manufacturing process mm-hmm. where, you know, typically with board games, they just take these five or six items and throw them in a box. But now what they do is they have, uh, let's say there's a set of characters and a set of cards and a set of tiles and a set of rules. And basically they pluck a different one from each one of those categories and throw them in the one box. And that manufacturing process is what I think was the most interesting part, like you said. Yeah, I found that very intriguing. And then also the side of it where they talk about the algorithms and the heavy lifting they have to do with the algorithms to make sure things work as the way they want them to, that if you take part one, then you need to make sure you don't take parts three and 16 or whatever. And So you have to build all that into the process to get this unique type of approach to building a game. I didn't realize that this has been in development for as long as it had. I know they have mentioned it at the show, but I didn't realize that they've been working on it so long. Yeah, for three years. But the really interesting thing was, I thought for sure that after the show, after they showed us Keyforge, that kind of Keyforge came first. This was just me speculating. Keyforge came first. They said, okay, we got a card game. Now we need to come out with a board game. But that's not what has happened. In 2016, Richard Garfield, who's the designer who made Magic the Gathering, came uh, over to FFG's offices and pitched him an idea of a game called Technique. And the idea of Technique is that every deck that you buy is different. Christian Peterson said like it was just like a perfect merging and melding of minds because they were already had this idea for a board game. And now here comes Richard Garfield with the exact same sort of concept for a card game. So they brought them together under this one unique game system umbrella. They tweaked the game from what Richard pitched technique into Keyforge, And now they had these two games. So I was totally stunned by that. It just so happened that Richard was doing kind of the same thing as what FFG was. And they just decided to work together. The planets were aligned, plain and simple. And now Keyforge is hitting the mass market. We will see how it's received. See if it works well. See if this algorithm was really well written. We'll keep coming back to this because it'll be interesting to read what people are saying. And it, shoot, you and I, like we said, we'd pro- we'll probably try to host a tournament at our local store. I mean, why not? I'm sure there'll be tournaments, whatever. But I mean, you know, $10 slap down a deck while we're sitting there waiting for, for somebody to get over to the game store to play a game. Even though we talked about the game, the, the card play didn't blow us away. It's the model. Uh, that they have of this each deck being unique that can really present some unique events. In fact, they've uh, already announced some of the events that they're going to be running with. Tony, I don't know if you've seen this, but for organized play, there's going to be two types. There's going to be the Archon format where you bring in whatever deck you want. Then there's the sealed format where you buy a deck at the store and you open it and play. But underneath each of those, there's going to be different variants. This is the one I thought that was cool, Tony. It's called Reversal, known as the best of the worst. You and your opponent swap decks and play. This variant work works because the algorithm behind deck creation ensures that every deck is playable. It can be illuminating because even if you lose, your deck wins. And then there's also the auction 
where you're going to have a common pool of card decks and then you bid the chains, which we talked about before. Chains uh, affect the number of cards you can have in play. Uh, this one's neat. The adaptive variant. You and your opponent play best two out of three. Game one, you use your deck. Game two, you use your opponent's deck. And in game three, you bid on which one you want to use. Now, see, that's neat. Yeah, and you're bidding what? The chains again? Yes. Yeah, that is. I mean, they've come out with some great ideas. Like I said, we'll see how this goes. I'm, hopefully, we'll have a good following at the store. Maybe we can have a monthly um, Keyforge tournament. It's a low barrier entry because there's no there's no deck building outside of it. Sure, you could buy a lot of decks and then play a lot of those and see which one you would want to bring. But I think the sealed format's probably the most interesting to me because I'm sure there are going to be people that are just going to dump tons of money on buying decks and finding the best one. And they've admitted some decks will be better than the other. So if you're spending a lot of money, you're more likely to find that deck that works really well as opposed to somebody who just maybe bought one. Then this, this whole concept of how they even put these decks together, and this is kind of going back to the article, they were talking about how they've developed this computer algorithm for deciding what three factions go together and what cards go together in each faction so to make each deck playable. And then what they have to do is they have to generate graphics files from those, a digital graphics file, because you know the back of every deck has a unique logo and a unique name. So there's going to be a unique file created for each deck. They said that takes two minutes to generate on high-speed computers. They said that means if they're doing 100,000 decks, that would take 166 days to make them. So they had to come up with a server farm multiple processors running in tandem to be able to render these object files as fast as possible so they can create it. So technically, on the technical side, just creating this was took a lot of work. It was more than just game design. It was production design. So they're printing money. That's what I'm hearing you say, tell me. It may be. And in fact, uh, they were kind enough to send us a, um, a starter box because uh, what we did, they gave away a couple decks at the um, event at Gen Con, but they sent us a starter box to check out. The starter box has a quick start set of rules. They come with uh, the tokens, damage tokens, the ember tokens. They have two training decks, which are just, every box has the exact same deck, so you can learn how to play. And then two of the regular unique decks. So I was going to talk about the, the rules, Tony. So it's interesting on the rules, they have the quick start rules, but the full rules are online. You know how they used to do like a learn to play and here's the full rules? Mm -hmm. It seems FFG's kind of moving away from the full rules in the box because L5R was this way. You have to go online to see the full set of rules, but they'll just give you the learn to play quick start ones in the box. I guess I'm okay with that because I guess the idea is these rules will change over time. So when you go look it up, you always have the latest ones maybe. Well, think of it like this. What is the one of the first things you do if you look about a new game on BGG? You Pretty much, well, I know what I do. I always pull down the rules. I go, If the rules are available, I go pull them down. And that way I can read through them and see if it's something that I'm going to be interested in. So with, you know, Keyforge, it also is the savings on cost. I understand what you're saying, but I can see from a money standpoint, I mean, these people are already having to print a boatload of stuff. So the rules, yeah, go online. If there's an errata, they can change it there. Did you say errata? Yes, I did. Errata? That too. Okay. I'm fine with the star rules being online, you know, because on my flip phone, I can't really read them. So I'm going to have to print them <laughs> off anyway. <laughs> He's not far from the truth. So anyway, it, it, th this whole process of how they create everything, I just thought was super interesting. The, the background of uh, what I thought how it was done was developed was totally wrong. It was two separate ideas that came together to work. So it, it's interesting to peek behind the curtains and see how this system's going to work. And I must admit, from reading this article, I'm now even more interested in reading the organized events and how they're going to run. I think it could be fun to go to our store and, and play these. Now, people are going to wonder, do I need to get that core set? That is totally up to you because the only thing that's really in there that you don't have access to any other place are the tokens themselves. And Tony, you and I could go old school if we wanted to. Remember Lord of the Rings? Yep. We all were, we were investing in glass beads. 
Yep, I got those things still sitting around. Glass beads work great, people. Buy red for damage and then other colors for the other status tokens and you are good to go. So, yes, you can get the core rules if you do want the official, I mean, the core set if you want the official tokens. And you do get two decks included, which is very, very nice. But those decks are going to be $9.99 a piece. So you can go in and, and drop 10, just get up a deck, the rules online, and you can just play right then and there. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Play Renegade has a really cool series of worker placement games kind of placed in what well, it previously was like in the Vikings era. An example was Raiders of the North Sea, which I, w- I was a big fan of for a good solid worker placement game. Recently, they sent us a brand new one in the same series, and it's called Architects of the West Kingdom, and this is by designer Shem Phillips. This is also a worker placement game where you have actually a lot of workers. You got like 20 workers that you're going to use to do things, collect resources and hire apprentices for the purpose of building buildings, which give you victory points, which is the ultimate goal of the game. But as much as I love my worker placement games, not possessive, but just worker placement games in general, there's got to be something different to make this one stand out. And Tony, to me, I think there are a couple things in this game that make it a little different than other worker placement games. I agree with you. And one of the facts about this game that is so unique is that when you're placing workers out there, it's not one of those things where everyone goes out and places their 20 workers, as you just said, and then we reset and gather them all back. No, they stay on the board and that can impact placing another worker there that will help them either gain more resources or gain more special abilities or change what type of resources they give. So as you sit there and build up workers in various locations, you get better benefits. So that's one of the unique aspects of this game. And so the other thing is, is typically there, the worker placement games are in rounds, like you said, where after a while, you're going to pick up your workers and, and put them back in and use them again. Not so in this one, when you place them out there, they're out there for good But as Tony said, you may stack up a lot of workers in one spot that'll give you tons of benefits. And it's like some, eventually you're going to say, I'm tired of like Tony getting so much wood every time he places a worker out in that one spot. So you can go to this one place and capture all of one color in one spot and put them on your board. And then you can place a worker in another spot to move those to the guardhouse, you know, like put them in prison. And for all each one that you do, you get money. So there's a benefit for doing. But now I've just now forced you, Tony, to be able to place a worker over in that guardhouse to get your guys back. So there's this constant flow and flux of workers going on the board, being captured, transferred to the guardhouse, brought back into the, your supply. That right there makes this very unique compared to other worker placement games. And it's not very vindictive when this is going on. People may be saying, oh, "Oh." (laughs) yeah, well, it's not, it's not that vindictive. Yes, it happens. But you know that when I do that, it's a strategic move. It's not like I'm going after you. It's strategic to eliminate your ability to gather those resources. But you also know I need money that will allow me to either because I've got to pay my taxes or I got to pay to do this along with placing a worker there. It's all part of it. Now there's two ways to get victory or there's multiple ways to get victory points. But two of the big ways are building a building or working on the cathedral. And one thing I want to point out when you do that, that is the one way you lose your worker because you work them to death. You lay them down in a spot. (laughs) I didn't think of it like that. You're actually sacrificing a worker to be able to build a building or help contribute to the cathedral. That's right. So you're by doing that, you can then Take an action to build the building if you have enough resources for your tableau, or you can help advance the cathedral, which has victory points. And that's also the triggering end game. When all the spots are filled up with dead workers, the game ends and whoever has the most victory points wins. Now, there's no victory point tracker. You don't know unless you're counting them all up. It may be a surprise at the end, but you've got that going on. And Marty, there's one more quick aspect I want you to touch on, and that is the virtue. Yeah, so on the virtue is you also have a virtue tracker on the board, and the less virtue you have, you're going to lose victory points at the end of the game. But it actually makes it easier to do things in another spot on the board called the black market. And when you're not very virtuous, you can go to the black market and do some shady deals. 
But if you have too much virtue, which gives you more victory points, it keeps you from going to the black market. So there's this balancing act. At the beginning of the game, low virtue was great, but by the end, you want to ramp it up so you can get some extra victory points. I'm always looking for something in a game that makes it stand out a little bit different. And those two aspects of the game are the multiple workers in one spot and that you can capture workers is unique. This is a light game. It has a little bit of take that element to it. But it's enough to where it's like, I will definitely want to play this again compared to other light worker placement games because of those two different aspects. For me, it was an enjoyable game, but based on something we've already talked about, Kalamala, I'm going to go to that just for a quick comparison so people will know. Enjoyed the game, love the artwork, love that capturing take. But once again, what it boiled down to me was a very rinse and repeat. Get resources, build something, advance victory points. That's where I am with this game. Five minute initiative is complete. We've been talking about the broken token forever for making some incredible inserts and organizers, but now they're getting into another element. Uh, they recently just purchased a terrain manufacturing company, and now they're actually going to be producing terrain that you can buy. And their first line is a sci-fi line of terrain. So there's all these different buildings and everything that you can get for putting on your table for playing miniature games, for playing role-playing games. So now aside from just your organization, now you can get terrain that you can get, build, paint. They're also uh, getting little terrain tokens and bits that you can scatter around the table, such as like boxes and crates and everything. I uh, talked to Broken Token after they did this and I was excited to see this line of products coming out. And I said, all right, you got sci-fi, you're gonna be doing fantasy. And they said, sure enough, fantasy uh, type terrain is something they have on their radar. So be looking for that soon. But if you wanna check out all the existing terrain they have, you can go to check it out at thebrokentoken.com. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. A big surprise occurred here at the McCree household. A box showed up unannounced, not knowing what it was. I opened it up, Marty, and it was Ascension Delirium, the newest expansion, which I've lost count, kind of like you and your dream theater. You were pretty excited about that, I bet. I was. I was very, because we heard about this from Justin Gary at Gen Con, and he was talking to us about because the new mechanic in delirium is a dice mm. he's got this whole ascension engine if you haven't heard us talk about it i don't know why you haven't because we talk about it often on the show because i play it constantly on the ipad it's ascension i'm not going to go over the gameplay you're trying to get the most points at the end but i do want to <laughs> go over what that's the way it is <laughs> you waste like 15 seconds of every five minute initiative saying you gotta get victory points so in the new ascension delirium they brought back the insight token which i loved from dreamscape marty and when we played this instead of trying to get these huge champions you're using insight that gives you the ability to roll the dice that gives you various capabilities to do like draw some more cards or get more power or straight victory points. There you go. Straight victory points. What a novel idea. What did you think? Cause the big change is the dice. What did you think about the dice aspect of this? Okay. So I really enjoy my card games. I was very skeptical of the die. Cause that's just like another random element that I've got to put into a game that I don't know that needs more randomization, but I think it worked. Okay. I think it was kind of like a gamble of like, Ooh, maybe I'll get something. I mean, every time you roll the die, you got something that is a value that you could use. Uh, Tony, when we were playing though, it seems like a lot of the times towards the end of the game, you were rolling a lot of victory points at the end to get victory, it, which kind of like, okay, that's kind of annoying because I thought we were like head to, you know, doing pretty well. Then all of a sudden you started rolling the die and getting lucky with the victory points and, and could like possibly scrape out a victory. Uh, so I don't know. The, the, it's, it's a cool mechanic, but I don't know that if I want that extra randomization in there. What did you think? I agree with you. I, I think the randomization kind of, I, I thought was a neat idea from that standpoint. But overall, I think one of the things that caught me in this game was the new fate auction where you use some of your insight tokens to auction off to do an action when that card shows up in the pool. Mm. That was an interesting added bonus 
to this game. So that's not been, I, I have not seen it, but then again, I haven't seen, played every expansion since um, Gift of the Elements. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I like the fact that, hey, I've got to pay insight to get this. Is it worth more to you to pay it? It may be an action that you really like. I like that part of it. I, I 100% agree. Anything with auctioning, I'm probably going to be into. And so I appreciated that too. So you tried to grab as much insight as you could, hoping that when a car came up, it'd be something that you would want and bid for it and take it. That mechanic, I really enjoy. And then the other thing that they brought out new was the recur action, where when you play a card, there is an insight cost where you can repeat the effect on that card. So for instance, gain five power. And then if you pay three insight, you can get an additional five power. Those two actions right there were recur, especially sped up the game a lot for me. I thought that was kind of interesting. So the game didn't drag on and drag on where you're constantly building up that engine and then boom, it explodes on you. That was kind of interesting. But I think where this game is going to assign, uh, I'm sorry, a shine is if you do add back in dreamscape, the original Ascension that in introduced a insight and you have the champions and then you have a hard choice to pick. Do I spend that to draft that champion that I got at the beginning or do I save onto my insight so that I can use to roll the die or pay for recurring or even do the fade auction. I think those elements together are really going to make the shine. I can't wait to try it out at Bubikue bringing the two together. Anytime you add a new resource that is interesting and, and adds a new element besides just throwing another token to manage, uh, I'm into that. And I think that's what Insight did with, with with a couple of abilities that you mentioned. So while I wasn't crazy about the dice rolling mechanic, those two I, I liked. And it's great to see that this game is still alive and well. This many years later, it can still come up with some unique aspects. So for me, I am going to merge these two and I will definitely keep delirium on the shelf and merge it in with dreamscape i don't think i would play it separately but i enjoyed them but i think i'm going to enjoy them both together five minute initiative is complete wow we were actually able to make a full episode without requiring a guest to be on the show tony that uh, that, that felt good and I'm proud of ourselves there so someone else to fill up the empty space, which we filled up with lawnmower talk or I don't know, <laughs> something we saw on Kickstarter or a discussion about Keyforge and how smart people are over at Fantasy Flight Games, which, by the way, you know, Keyforge is, you know, still on that. I bet you're going to have that in the um, top 10 list when you release again for MiniatureMarket.com. I'm sure it's got to be there. Well, I don't know if it'll be there in October, but it may be there in November when it's officially released, because then I think once it gets into people's hands and we'll see if they like it or not. Right. So it'll be a quick indicator of whether it takes off. And, you know, we referencing some games we talked about. Tony, there's two that I wanted to wrap back to. We talked about Architects of the West Kingdom and I want to say Kalimari. Kalimala? Uh, Kal Kalimala. <laughs> see, uh, there were two th aspects of those games I really appreciate that were just alike. I love the speed of both of those games. In Kalamala, remember when we were playing, we thought, holy crap, it's going to take forever for these 15 scoring tokens to trigger. How will that happen? That game ramps up quick. Because you know, you know, you know, in a lot of Euros, the more things that, that happen over the course of the time and you get your engine going, things start slowing down. It seemed the reverse happened with Kalamala. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. That game did speed up, especially when we got comfortable with it. It really picked up. But overall, you're, you're absolutely right. We're like, we're never going to score these discs. Boom, score, 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 score. Yeah. I was like, whoa. It almost was, ha it was almost happening too fast. It's like, well, I know the next time there's a score, this one's going to do this. So I'm going to go ahead and prep for that one and try to get Oh, okay. Uh, we just triggered that one. So let me look at the next one. It just can move like that. But then the cool thing about uh, Architects of the West Kingdom, the fact that there's not rounds where you pull your workers back off the board, that takes away that whole downtime element. Element. That game, I remember Tony, when you when we read the rules and you watched the videos, you said we're going to suffer some serious AP here. But we really didn't, except maybe the last round or so, where we're trying to decide where can I get some extra victory points. That game moved quick, and I think part of the reason was there wasn't resetting of the board between rounds; it just kept flowing. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you there too. It's, that surprised me because you're right. I thought he'd be like, where do I place this worker? Well, I obviously need to place it there. Oh crap, he just captured all my workers, so I need to rebuild that over there. Oh wait, I'm out of money. Well, let me go capture it. Your decisions were pretty simple to make. But again, I was just pleasantly surprised with how well both of those flowed. And we finished both of those. I think we finished Kalamala in like an hour and a half or so. And uh, Architects was like a little over an hour. Once you really understand how to play these games, those games will move quick. So anyway, I just want to reference that. I thought that was cool that we played these two Euro games that didn't get bogged down with AP and they flowed very quickly. True. Now, there was one thing I did want to ask you about, and I've actually got two more items before we close out the show. But number one is, while you were waiting for me over at the game store with Jacob, you got to put Monolith Arena back on the table. I didn't want to. I, I was hoping you'd forget that. No, you didn't really play it. He did, but based on on based on the final <laughs> score. But what did you think of it again after another play? I still really enjoy it. But uh, you remember you played the elves? Yeah. And on the last episode, you even said, I got to play those guys again because I don't didn't play those well at all. I didn't either. And I wanted to play them just to see if I could figure out how to play it. I really think, like in a lot of games, there are some factions that are easier to play than others. And you like the dwarves, and Jacob played the the dwarves, and those are really straightforward. They're beefy. They want to get in your face and punch you in the face. To me, that's the easier style faction to play. I think the elves require more finesse. They're easier to kill, but the thing is, is they move around. They're nimble, and it's movement and position that's important. And I think that's one of those that has a steeper learning curve than what the dwarves did. So yes, I got totally stomped. But just for me, from the, gosh, four or five games I've now played of that game, it seems like Elves is the one that's kind of a little bit tricky and maybe the demons. The other two seem really straightforward. And that's important to know. I was wondering about that because you did play the elves and that's I, I wasn't using their ability of moving. So that was kind of important. Now, the other thing I wanted to cover with you is on our um, Pod Pledge Slack channel. All right. Yes. I, I announced that we were coming on to record tonight. And if you had any questions for us, please ask. And a very important question was asked of me. Okay. What is that? While I was waiting on you, I was eating a piece of cake and I was asked what type of cake. My wife made a from scratch white cake with a lemon curd. I don't like her to use the word term curd. So I make her use filling because it doesn't sound good to me. Lemon curd versus lemon filling. So with lemon filling in between with a hint of lemon in the white buttercream icing. Oh, mm. so good. It was so good. So that's the type, that was the cake that we got to do. She's experimenting with new um, white cake recipes. So whenever she gets to make a cake, she's going to use that recipe. So you're going to bring that uh, barbecue? No, because there's enough desserts in the barbecue list of food to bring. I'm bringing coleslaw. And that's it? Just coleslaw? What else do you need? I don't know. You can look at the list. So we have an event list where I've asked people to sign up for food to bring. And Tony's like, is anybody bringing coleslaw? It's like, well, you can bring coleslaw, but what else? I don't know. You got beans coming, got coleslaw. I'm not going to bring a bunch of vegetables because that's just silly talk. You don't want to mess up. <laughs> that's right. Why would why would we waste space on the serving table with vegetables? Exactly. I've got um I've got my barbecue. I got my coleslaw to go on my barbecue, and then I got dessert. Now the only thing that could be missing there is the beans. Oh, there's the beans. We are golden. That's it. Plus a bunch of awesome games, and hopefully we'll get as much as we can to the table. I will say I've, I will be there as soon as I can. I got one errand to run in the morning, but I'll get there as soon as I can. And I'm really looking forward to it. And we will definitely report back on uh, the events, the happenings, the, the complete and total screw ups at the Rolling Dice and Taking Names Bubacue event. Thanks for listening. Come join our BGG Guild 1589. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names. Instagram Dyson Names. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to podpledge.com slash RDTN. And a lot of people have some, there's some success. There are some, wow, Marty, try it again. This is by Stoneblade Entertainment. No, it's not. Yes, it is. We're going to restart. A game that's actually... <clears throat> it's not even a game. Wow, Tony, we're actually to make a... Try that again. Well, 
portalgames.pl slash en. Be sure to check it out over there because, you know, Essen has just finished. Ignacy is done with 2018. 2019's around the corner. He's better be getting busy over there. But amazing year for Ignacy. We've got Detective. We've got Monolith Arena. We've got amazing Amazons as well for Imperial Settlers. You heard him on the last show talk about what's possibly coming out in 2019. So very excited for that. Be sure to check it all out at portalgames.pl slash en.